0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, Genesis, A New Perspective, we are trying to breathe fresh life into this ancient text that lays the foundation for the Christian Bible. Each week we will be exploring different ways that these Genesis stories impact us and the world around us and our ways of understanding God. I hope you enjoy For those of you who may not have been here for the past couple of weeks, or for those of you who are new to our congregation, we've been doing a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples so many thousands of years ago. And to date, we have dealt with four sections of the prayer. Today, we are going to deal with the fifth. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I think I should start by saying that in some ways, this is the most important part of the prayer Because the previous three requests that we make of God, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, and give us today our daily bread, all hinge on this particular petition. So if God doesn't grant this request for forgiveness, then it renders the other three requests impossible. We're going to talk about why this is the case in a little bit, but for now, I'd like to talk to you about the translation of this particular part of the prayer. Have anybody in here, have you all ever been to other churches? No, you've been at this church the whole time, right? So if you've ever been to other churches, you know that this is the part of the prayer that tends to get translated differently, right? So that when you say it at the church, it becomes this big garbled mess if nobody knows what they're supposed to say, and so it's like trespasses and debts and sins, and it all gets kind of meshed together. Well, there's three different ways of saying it, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Which translation you use depends on which version you like better, whether you like the version from the Gospel of Matthew or the version from the Gospel of Luke. Matthew is where we get debts and debtors. This is based on the Greek word ophelima, which literally refers to debts in the sense of financial debt. The version of Luke is where we get sins and trespasses, and this is based on a very different Greek word, hamartia, which literally means to miss the mark. And it's probably best translated into English as mistakes. So which one is it? Is it debts or is it mistakes? And does it really matter which one we use? Well, to complicate this a little bit further, you have to understand that Jesus actually never spoke Greek which is the language in which the entire New Testament is written. Jesus spoke a language known as Aramaic, and the word he would have used is el Habanam, which can be translated in English as either debts, as in financial debts, or sins. So you can understand why the Greek translators, the people who wrote the Gospels, took this one word in Aramaic and they used it in both directions. They went both ways. Now, I would say, I'm going to go out on a limb here, I didn't really know Jesus at that time, but I could say that probably he intended for us to use both ways of thinking about it, both financial debts and the idea of mistakes, the mistakes we've made in our lives. Now the reason why he wants us to think about both ideas is because of this world that Jesus envisions. Now for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this world, the kingdom of God as he refers to it, and I've told you that there's a couple of different attributes of this kingdom. And I'm sorry for those of you who have heard this over and over and over again, but I need to restate them just so we're all on the same page. So in God's kingdom, nobody suffers. Everybody has enough food to eat. Everybody has clothes to wear. Everybody has a roof over their head. Everybody's treated for their illnesses. Nobody is forgotten. Last week in particular, I tried to flesh out what this society that Jesus envisions actually looks like. And to be honest with you, if Jesus had his way, our lives would be very, very simple. We wouldn't have a lot of money or possessions, and everybody would basically be on equal footing. Now, the reason why Jesus looks at the world this way is because he grew up in a primarily agrarian society, meaning that most of the people he knew were farmers. And during Jesus' day, there was a massive disparity between the wealthy and the poor. And the reason for this disparity had to do with the people who ruled them. This was the Roman Empire. Now, for most people in the Roman Empire, the fact that they were in the Roman Empire was a good thing. Because it gave them access to commerce that they wouldn't have had access to before. So for the first time ever... In history, you have this emerging lower middle class because people are actually able to do things to pull themselves up out of poverty. But this was not the case among the Jews of Jesus' time. You see, the Jews of Jesus' time took a stand. They said, we don't want anything to do with the Roman government. And so they had their own customs. They had their own culture, their own religious values. And so they really tried to step back and stay away from... All of the Roman influences now this is good in some ways because they were able to retain their culture but it was bad in the sense that the best parts of Roman commerce prevented the Jews from raising their standard of living and so the very few Jews who were willing to engage with the Roman government became extraordinarily wealthy while most people struggled to get by and in very severe circumstances when there was famine and people were suffering, these people who were struggling to get by had to go to their wealthy counterparts to secure loans so that their families could eat. These loans would come with huge, huge interest rates, anywhere from 12 to 48%. Now, these loans would often stay with families for generations, and in order to repay the loan, it would usually result in them having to sell the land And sell the house, which oftentimes didn't even take care of the loan completely. So then they would end up as indentured servants to the landowner. Jesus saw this happen over and over and over again. And he knew that if the kingdom of God was ever going to become a reality, that these loans would need to be forgiven. Therefore, it's no great surprise that Jesus would include this in the prayer that we should forgive the financial debts of those around us. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment what that would be like. And I need you to put yourselves back then, not now, because our financial system now is really complicated. But back then, it was much simpler. So here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine that you are a wealthy landowner. You're in a minority of people. And all these families start coming to you, and they say, we need money in order to eat and you give them the loan. Now I want you to imagine what would happen if you actually forgave that loan, how that would actually start fulfilling the other parts of Jesus's prayer. So by forgiving the loan, they no longer have to spend money on repaying the loan, they can actually afford to eat, which means that the prayer when we say, give us today our daily bread, becomes a reality for these people. Furthermore, by forgiving the loan, You are bringing redemption to a bad situation, which is God's will. We talked about redemption being God's will in a previous sermon. So if you had held on to that loan, these people would be paying this back for generations. But by forgiving it, what you're doing is you're taking a bad situation and using it for good. And finally, by forgiving that debt, you bring God's kingdom a little bit closer to becoming a reality here on earth. Your forgiving of that debt literally merges heaven with earth. So this one idea, this one concept of forgiving financial debt has huge, massive implications for fulfilling all the other requests in Jesus' prayer. But this is only one side of the equation. Because finances is just one thing. There's a whole other side of the debts that we owe God. Now, these are not financial debts in the sense that we owe God money. These are debts that we have incurred by making mistakes in our lives. In the church, how do we generally refer to these mistakes? What are they called? Sins. Sins. That's right, sins, right? That's what we like to say. Well, we're not going to talk about sins today because sins is a loaded term. Sins means lots of different things to lots of different people, depending on how you grew up. So we're going to stick with the more literal translation of Mistakes, because I think everybody can be on the same page with that one. Everybody knows what a mistake is. Now, we all make mistakes. I know this is nothing revolutionary. You probably know this, and you've probably heard countless pastors tell you over the years how we are flawed and that because we are flawed, we need God's forgiveness. In fact, some pastors are so good at talking about our flaws and mistakes that seeking forgiveness is the reason why people end up going to church. To borrow language from the business world, forgiveness is the product that churches sell in order to keep people coming back through the doors. Forgiveness is what keeps the lights on. It's what pays the bills. And because of this, because the church has monetized forgiveness, I think many people are rightly suspect of its necessity. Pastors like myself will get up here and will say, Hey, you know, God's forgiveness, it's freely given. But if you appreciate that forgiveness, then we'd very much appreciate you giving of your resources to the church, your time, your talent, and particularly your treasure. And for this reason, I think forgiveness has lost its authenticity in our culture. In my opinion, one of the biggest reasons why the traditional church is dying is because we have never taken the time to correct this misperception. So one of my goals today is to set the record straight. You do not need the church in order to be forgiven. Never have, never will. You can be forgiven by God whenever you want. You just have to ask, and it certainly does not have to be in this building. Are we on the same page on that one now? (laughs) All right, excellent. That's good. But this puts us in a little bit of a quandary, which is Why come to church? Why build this place? Why make all this stuff if it's not about forgiveness? Well, you're going to hear a lot of different answers to that question from a lot of different people. But I'll tell you what my answer is. I really look at the church as a sort of training room where you learn the skills that you need to create God's kingdom in the world. So within these walls, you learn skills. So you learn the skill, for instance, of how to love your enemy because let's be honest we don't all always get along in here right are we on the same page on that one i mean i get along with all of you but you know you don't get along with each other that's what i'm trying to say we learn how to serve the poor we learn how to serve those who are in need and perhaps the most important thing that we do in here is we learn how to forgive those who have wronged us and we learn how to accept forgiveness from others when we have wronged them, particularly forgiveness from God. So the church is kind of like a microcosm, a smaller version of what God's kingdom is supposed to be, and what you learn in here, you take those skills and you're supposed to take them out into the world to use them to create God's kingdom. And my role, the reason why you pay me and Barbara and Beth to be up here, is that we are kind of like your trainers, We're here to help you learn those skills so that you become strong enough and motivated enough to do your part to create God's kingdom in the world. Now that said, my training for you today is to help you understand that even though you don't need the church to grant you forgiveness, forgiveness is still a very, very important part of your life. And this is illustrated very well by the scripture that we read today from Luke. In this scripture, Jesus is out at a dinner party. Jesus is always at dinner parties, eating and drinking. That's kind of like his thing. That's what he does, right? And I like to think of him, you ever go to a party and there's like the one person who everybody just crowds around because they're so charismatic and you just want to hear the stories? I kind of think that's like who he was. He was this guy who everybody just wanted to be around. He had that kind of personality that way. Well, in this dinner party, he tells a parable, a story, where he uses the concept of financial debt to help us understand why we need forgiveness from God for the mistakes that we've made in our lives. So he tells a story. He says, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50. When they could not pay, the creditor forgave the debt of both. And then Jesus poses a question. He says, which one do you think will love him more? Now, the obvious answer to that question is the one with the greater debt is going to be more appreciative of the forgiveness. At this point in the story, Jesus turns to a woman who is at his feet. This woman, according to the scriptures, snuck into this dinner party because she wanted to see Jesus. Now, this woman is so overwhelmed by being in Jesus' presence. She's so overwhelmed by the mistakes that she has made in her past that she begins to weep. And her tears are so voluminous that she has to wipe them off of Jesus' feet with her hair. Jesus tells the people at this dinner party that this woman is like the man who owed 500 denarii. And at that moment, he turns to this woman and he's looking at her and he's saying that because of her actions, because of the things she's done in her life, she feels as though she owes an enormous debt to God. And so Jesus, with great compassion, tells this woman that her mistakes, which were many, have been forgiven. And in this one moment, he lifts from this woman this huge weight that she has been carrying with her for years and gives her the freedom to become a new person. Now, I wonder, hearing that story, how many of you can actually relate to this woman in this story? Have you ever felt so burdened by the baggage in your past that has brought you to tears? Have you ever wept uncontrollably because you feel incapable of carrying the weight of your mistakes inside of you? If you have, if you know what that's like, then you also know how much those burdens can weigh you down and how important it is that it be lifted from you. And when it comes down to it, this is what Jesus does for us more than anything else. Jesus lifts the weight of those burdens from our soul. Jesus, with his forgiveness, heals those broken places inside of us like nothing else can. Now, some of you in here know what I'm talking about, and some of you don't. So don't feel bad if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're like, "Eh, I don't really get that, but that's cool. Hey, it's all right. But this is the most important point that I'm going to be making today, so I really want to make this clear. I believe that every single person, when they are born, is born whole and complete. Our hearts are like these wells, and they're full of... Hope and love and dreams. If you've ever seen a little child, it's a beautiful thing to see. I have two sons. And where they are right now in their lives, the world is full of nothing but possibility and opportunity. But the world has a way of tapping that well dry. Some of us are lucky, and we emerge from life with our well still intact. But I think for most of us, the years and decades of our lives wear us down, and we feel unable to cope and move forward. The events of our lives shatter that well, and our hearts are so broken by the world around us that we feel incapable of becoming whole again. But you see, Jesus' love does something for us that human love can never do. Because if you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever experienced that brokenness then you may have tried to heal that with human love. And it doesn't quite do the same thing, I've found. You see, Jesus' love can rebuild that well and refill it with the love, hope, and dreams with which we were born. This is why in the church you often hear people talking of being reborn. Because what Jesus' love does for us is it makes us whole again, giving us those love, hope, and dreams that we started off with. I will admit to you that throughout most of my life, I have been one of these broken people. The events of my life very much shattered that well. And I never thought I would really be in a place where I would be whole again. But when I was presented with Christianity as an option, I didn't really pay much attention to it. But as I started to edge closer to it, I thought, well, if this is true, then maybe I can become whole again. And over the years of myself, Dedicating myself to this faith, I have come to find that I am more whole now than I ever have been Jesus is love, Jesus is forgiveness, whatever you want to call it I really believe that there's nothing else like it in the universe And once you've experienced it Once you know what it's like to be made whole again Then you understand why forgiveness is the key to creating the society that Jesus envisions You see, once you've experienced forgiveness, once you understand the kind of love that has the ability to make you whole again, then you come to realize how often we waste our time on trivialities like money, power, and status. What inspires the desire within us to forgive those around us And to begin creating God's kingdom in the world is when we've experienced forgiveness for ourselves. The two go hand in hand. One cannot happen without the other. You cannot forgive people around you until you have experienced forgiveness for yourself. And that is a fact. And this is why everything in Jesus' prayer hinges on forgiveness. It's why it has to happen in order for it to work. You see, forgiveness is so crucial because until you can truly understand in your soul what it means to be forgiven, until you can appreciate and comprehend the kind of love that has the ability to rebuild you into something whole, then you will never be able to forgive those around you, financial or otherwise. So my hope and my prayer for you today is that you might begin the process of rebuilding that well within your heart if it has been shattered. That you would allow God's love and forgiveness to make you whole again. Because if you are willing to do that, then you will have the ability to do everything that we train in here to do. You will have the ability to create God's kingdom out in the world, here and now. Next week is my last sermon in this series. And it will be the culmination of what I promised to you many weeks ago. We're going to be talking about why Jesus needed to die? Why he had to be sacrificed so that we could experience forgiveness this is a very challenging question. And it's going to lead us very nicely into our Holy Week, and then, of course, to the most important celebration of the Christian year, Easter. Until next week, amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, Please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez Family of Faith.